Hey, everybody. Coming up, you have you ever been mad at a local business? You know, usually it just takes one bad employee to make your customer experience miserable, right? And it could just take one bad executive to make life miserable for thousands of employees. So in turn, couldn't one good executive or employee with a good business character make life so much better? That's what we're talking up talking about coming up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Secretary of Commerce John Bryson has now taken a medical leave after he suffered a seizure over the weekend that may have contributed to multiple car accidents. White House spokesman Josh Ernest says there's no timetable for Bryson's return. Ernest spoke to reporters in Baltimore where President Obama was at a private fundraiser shortly after speaking to his commerce chief for the first time since Saturday's events. Officials have said a seizure played a role in the series of Southern California car crashes that left Bryson unconscious and cited by police for hit and run. Ernest says Obama told Bryson to focus on his health and his family and voiced confidence that Deputy Secretary Rebecca Blank can serve ably in his absence. Mark Smith at the White House. The Attorney General is working towards a compromise on releasing documents related to the Fast and Furious program. With a House committee set to vote next week on whether to hold him in contempt for not turning over documents that have been subpoenaed, Attorney General Eric Holder says he's willing to compromise and make them available. I myself am offering to sit down with the Speaker, with the Chairman, with you, whoever, to try to work our way through this in an attempt to avoid a constitutional crisis. The Justice Department's turned over about 7,600 documents, but it refused access to others, saying they deal with ongoing investigations and other sensitive issues. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. The Coast Guard has deemed a distress, a distress call supposedly from off the coast of New Jersey to be a hoax. We have 21 souls on board. The person on the radio calmly describes an emergency at sea, an explosion aboard a yacht off New Jersey, killing three people, injuring nine, forcing 20 into the water. I'm in three feet of water on the bridge. I'm going to stay by the radio as long as I can before I have to go overboard. All made up, says Coast Guard Deputy Commander Gregory Hitchin. With the amount of helicopters we had on scene in the area we covered for our search, we were confident that we would have seen a life raft. The Coast Guard has released recordings of the fake distress call, which Hitchin says came from land in hopes someone will recognize the voice and lead to the hoaxers who face hefty fines and prison if caught and convicted. Warren Levinson, New York. It's been 50 years since three men made a daring attempt from Alcatraz prison, and mystery still looms over the case. The 1962 prison break was made into a movie starring Clint Eastwood. I may have found a way out of here. Three inmates got away using stolen spoons to dig and a raincoat raft. Marie Widner's brothers, John and Clarence Anglin, along with Frank Morris, got off the rock. I always believed that they made it. That tape from KGO-TV. The three are still unaccounted for, and there is even a U.S. marshal still on the case. Michael Dyke doesn't know if they're still alive. There's a lot of things that uh, are unanswered. Um, mostly there's no bodies found. A year after their escape, Alcatraz closed. I'm Ed Donahue. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on the show every single day, Monday through Friday, to help 
you and your loved ones grow healthy, happy lives, healthy, happy relationships. And of course, really just trying to get you through this thing we call life where there is no handbook, right, for humanity. That's what we try to be on the show is your handbook for humanity. Welcome to the show, everybody. And today I want to really take on, um, I think, a pretty important conversation. It seems like, ah, and I don't know, maybe it's just the economy. Maybe it's just that financial markets are struggling. Maybe it's Greece. Hey, let's blame Greece. Everyone else is. Maybe it's Spain. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot going on. And it seems like businesses are under some serious stress. And it also seems like our bosses, our managers, a lot of people aren't playing the game as effectively as they used to. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about maybe bringing back some character to the to our work environment, bringing back a little more integrity, a little more a little less corruption, maybe a little more sincerity, a little more, um, I don't know, just some of those old fashioned values back into the workplace. Again, I, I really feel strongly that uh, as we as we try to live in this crazy thing we call life, at some time, at some point when we're spending so much time away from our family and so much time at work, it would sure be great if uh, we could go to a place and be with people that seem to really have character and have integrity. And instead, a lot of times in the business world, it's starting to slip. Now, for example, just think back Think back to the 90s, right? Now, a time when America's economy seemed bulletproof, stocks went up, houses always increased in value, and the problems just sort of took care of themselves, right? Until then, apparently, they didn't. The other day, somebody reminded me of a book I saw 10 years ago. It was called Why It's Different This Time, The Dow at 30,000 by 2008. It only gets one star on Amazon, but copies are selling for over $50 a piece, probably for its novelty factor, not for its accurate stock predictions. There are many complicated reasons why the Dow Jones is now equal to where it was about a decade ago. But as the economic windstorm of the past few years has blown over many businesses in the forest of companies, it's allowed us a glimpse into the dry rot which has brought down a few titans of industry like a certain Texas-based energy company. You know the one. It was a shining star back in the 90s as it merged with the natural gas pipeline and electricity producers and other things. And under deregulation, it really was looking like it was starting to flourish. Its stock price grew 300%. Everything seemed great until the power went out. Rolling blackouts spread across the Golden State really for no good reason. Years later, we'd learn of these terms like Fat Boy, Ping Pong, Death Star. Turns out they were all code names energy traders would use as they were manipulating the market as they overbooked a main transmission line through Central California so they could raise prices. That sort of culture probably resulted from the company's executive compensation system. It was intended to reward valuable employees, but it backfired and encouraged them to just look at short-term profitability to maximize their own bonuses. Then the company, which Forbes called America's most innovative company for six years in a row, began to crack. Turns out they'd brought in an accountant to use some innovative accounting strategies to help hide their liabilities from shareholders. I am a super genius! Liquidity problems popped up, too. Its credit rating dropped down to a triple B+, which is basically junk status. Oh, come on! And the SEC started to investigate. 
many of the bad guys at Enron, if you haven't guessed the name by now, and Arthur Anderson, its accounting firm, wound up in jail. Oh, man! And that's where the storybook version ends. But you know the rest of the story. Enron's stock went down to zero. Its employees lost a big chunk of their retirement. And all 22,000 workers lost their jobs. Arthur Anderson, a firm which grew from humble beginnings over 90 years to become one of America's big five accountants, was effectively destroyed. 85,000 employees lost their jobs. Many of their CPAs were forced to surrender their licenses. The stock market took a dip across the board. And while the power came back on in California, the extra money families had paid in price gouging was long gone. And we've seen more trouble in the past few years. WorldCom, Tyco, Bear Stearns, AIG, and Ponzi schemes. I always thought it was kind of ironic that the guy who made off with a ton of investors' money was named Bernie Madoff. Today we know more than ever how unethical decisions on Wall Street can affect us on Main Street in a very real way. So if a stranger clear across the country can negatively affect us with their bad decisions, how do we affect the people close to us when we make bad decisions? Good stuff. Uh, isn't that, I mean, those all those stories bring back such negative memories. Thanks, Rob. Um, it really is interesting because when you think of all of these organizations, the Enron, you think of, I mean, you just think of Bernie Madoff, all of these areas. And, and plus, you know, the, the collapse of the financial markets, all of these organizations that were involved in, you know, kind of messing up our own markets as well as the international markets. Every one of these organizations were led by people. And it's interesting now that they start bringing people before Congress, and now we're going to start doing investigations as they've been doing with all of these, um, all of these scandals. It's always the people they're bringing before. So it's the people in the end that either have to possess the character or not. Now, I've spent a lot of time, uh, and I'm just wrapping up finally, this a doctorate in human and organizational development. Studied a lot of what's called human behavior and organizational behavior. And the reality that I'm now learning, which I didn't learn before, sadly, is that people or organizations don't behave. People do. If there's a lack of character in an organization, it's in the person. Now, the person may create systems that don't work or that are corrupt, but it's people. It's all of us. There's a great quote that I love that says, the systems always reflect their creator. Um, so we tend to create systems if we're if we're corrupt that tend to be corrupting. We tend to uh, create family organizations or family structures or even gossiping about our children or how we deal with things based on our character. So what we're going to be doing on the show for the entire hour is we're going to be talking to an expert. Uh, his name is Bill Bennett, a past executive of um, at Franklin Covey. Uh, a leadership company, and we're going to be picking his brain about how you get character back into business and how you bring character back into the lives of people. He's an author. We'll talk all about it after this break. Stay tuned with us right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. From the ski slopes to the desert, and maybe to another planet, these futuristic goggles give you more than just the view. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. 
A cool new communication technology from Canada's Recon Instruments and Colorado Zeal Optics caught the eye of NASA engineers who are researching in-helmet displays for future spacesuit information systems. Transcend GPS-enabled sport goggles feature a head-mounted display that can show you seven different pieces of information, such as your exact location, time, temperature, speed, altitude, and distance traveled. Information from the goggles micro-LCD display seems to float in midair about six feet in front of you. NASA plans to evaluate the head-mounted display technology during their annual Desert Research and Technology Studies, otherwise known as Desert Rats, in Arizona. You see, astronauts in spacesuits need access to lots of detailed information, but they still rely on paper checklists worn on their arm and voice communications from other crew members or ground controllers. Having real-time data in a helmet display will lead to safer and more productive astronauts. And even if you aren't flying on a future space mission, you can still wear the Transcend goggles as you fly down the snow-covered slopes. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Richard and Linda Iyer are world-traveling family coaches, and they have some advice for you. From how to deal with a rebellious teenager to managing a family reunion, the Iyers have experienced it all. Wherever they happen to be traveling in the world, you can always find them here Monday through Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Appreciate you joining us today. We're talking about character and uh, how we bring character ethic uh, back into our work lives, our business lives. I know a lot of you out there are executives probably driving home right now back on the East Coast. After Actually, probably not. You're probably just going to get a latte. And then you're going to end up going and working three more hours and then going home. Uh, but uh, we're trying to figure out how we get more character, more, I don't know, uh, just work. What's the word? Character ethic. Kind of a sense of what's... Uh, what matters most back into our businesses, kind of take back our, our, our work environment from the corruption, from just the negativity that might be overtaking it. And to, to really get it started, I thought what better goes – what goes better with business than the concept of golf? So we sent one of our uh, producers out, Corinne Collins, to kind of give us some information. We all know that there's negative character traits of some businessmen, right? And there are good people as well. But here's Corinne Collins talking about the positive qualities that create good business character. Now, if I were to ask you what the best characteristics of a good businessman were, what would you say? I'm sure some of you would probably say honesty, creativity, or financial awareness, but I'm also pretty certain that financial awareness could be code word for able to make money. And that perhaps we might be able to add good golfing skills to that list. In irony, of course. But maybe not. According to a recent article in The Economist, golfing skills are a reflection of good business characteristics. Julian Small, CEO of the Wentworth Golf Club in London, says that golf is a fine test of character because it rewards players who remain calm under pressure, think strategically, and requires a high level of honesty. Sure, you could move the ball while no one's watching, but if you get caught, you just might end up being labelled and shunned. So, at least in the business world of golfing, it pays most to be honest. 
And while we can add responsibility, adaptability, and a number of other character traits to a list of good business characteristics, it appears that honesty might be the number one. Because let's face it, no one wants to play games with a cheater. So true. Nobody wants to play games with a cheater. Nobody wants to go to work with somebody that lacks character and is cheating and, and just doesn't quite get uh, how to how to do it right with character and integrity. So what we're doing is we're going to bring on um, Bill Bennett. Now, now Bill Bennett, you got to know, he's an author, and we're going to get into his book because his book has some incredible insight. But Bill also has some serious business background, right? So he did a lot of work or, and, and sales with um, IBM. He was a marketing manager, a sales manager. He was the president of Folio Software Corporation, also the president of PowerQuest Software, president of uh, a division president for um, Franklin Covey, which, as you know, is kind of a leadership development kind of organization. They teach skills and leadership. And now he's an author. Now all he does is go around and educate people on, I think, a pretty interesting story. Now, you've written two books, though, right, Bill? I have. Now, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Um, Now, tell us the two books. Uh, The first was a little book called The Christmas Gift. Yeah. Uh, Very simple story, really sort of targeted at a family uh, sharing the story together. And it's really about how we judge people, and yeah. then how those judgments skew our ability to ever have a good relationship with people. And you, you seem to like the Christmas motif, because <laughs> the second book, and it's weird that we're talking about Christmas books in the middle of June, but this, this one's different. Jacob T. Marley is the name of the second book. And if you're thinking out there, that name sounds so familiar. It's, it should be. It has something to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. You may remember Jacob Marley came back and uh, rocked Ebenezer's world. He did. So tell us about that. Well, you know, as as you, probably most people know from Christmas Carol, which begins yeah. Marley was dead to begin with. Marley was this uh, uh, unscrupulous business person, as Scrooge was, right. his partner. He uh, is filled with regret. And somehow, in, in means we don't know from Christmas Carol, he's able to come back. He's able to arrange the visits of these three ghosts for Scrooge. And he's got this tremendous remorse and virtually begs him to change his life before like, it's too late. Seriously, Ebenezer, listen to me. Right. I've died. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't seem like – I didn't remember Marley. Jacob Marley's the one that put these three guys together, these three visitors. Mm-hmm. But he did. Yeah. He, he, uh, he was the intermediary yeah. or the uh, union arbitrator <laughs> or whatever it took. organizer. To yeah. Isn't that great? And then <laughs> – but he had regret. So this is this is kind of why I wanted to do the show. So I'm sitting here. Think of your book. How many people out there are in a business that's falling apart anyway, struggling with the economy? There's already regret. They're already being a Scrooge. Mm-hmm. And they don't get the benefit of Jacob Marley's visit. Exactly. And, uh, you know, in the book, the point was how come he didn't get it? He didn't, how come he didn't get a chance? Um, and the message of Christmas Carol and the message that I think we can take to to business today is, hey, it's not too late, yeah. you know, and, and we can make a difference. We can we can take a, a make a pivot point on character, yeah, and it can make a difference immediately. Well, that's what's neat about it is, it's it's not like it, it doesn't even like take forever to get it running. If you just get a little character, more character than you had yesterday, it, we're going to start creating some momentum. Correct, and you know, human beings as a as a whole, are are pretty remarkably forgiving people. Yeah. And when they see someone who's perhaps not been the model of ethics and character turn and attempt to move sincerely in the right direction, 
in most cases, it's remarkable how willing people are yeah. to embrace that. Yeah, we'll let it go. We're forgiving people. Yeah. Just don't quit messing my life up, basically. Right. And so as people are sitting out there driving in their car, some of them – just be asking yourself this. What's it like to be your employee? What's it like to have you as the boss? Oh, it's such a relief. I'm such a great guy. <laughs> I have the best parties every Christmas. No, what is it really like to have to deal with you? And we're going to get into some of the things. What were some of the lessons that you kind of that you write about in your book? What was it that what was it you had to kind of, you know, stretch because you didn't have some of the data of what exactly what Jacob Marley was thinking. Right. So what what did you, you know, you're a business exec and you've been in at the highest levels and you know the pressure. We got to produce, we got to get results. We can we got to get them sometimes at the expense of even our people is what people think. How what what have, what have you seen and what did you bring out in the Jacob Marley book? Well, I think what you would find coming out is a lesson that that I felt I learned in my years of working, which is the supreme lesson, which is that people matter. Yeah, and, and you know you mentioned this, Matt, in the opening of the show. A business is nothing but people. That's right. Every aspect of it, every every level of performance, every problem, it's all about the people. And any leader that thinks that somehow the people are an ancillary aspect of their oh. business is going to create a miserable work environment. That's right. Well, in fact, it's interesting. Even in the presidential election, you're seeing this come up. Mm-hmm. You're seeing people nitpick Bain. You're seeing them nitpick Solyndra, all these business decisions, cabinet members. I mean, it's these are all people. These aren't mm-hmm. just political positions. All of these are just humans behaving. And a human group of humans behaving creates kind of organizational behaving. Right. And those that's so when I'm mad at when I'm mad at a, a restaurant, I'm not mad at Dave Thomas, who owns Wendy's. I'm mad at whoever's behind the counter that just shortchanged me. Right. And um I think that uh, one of the things that's key for us to understand, too, and this applies to personal relationships as well as right. business, is that we are wired to respond better in a high-trust, high-ethics environment. Yeah. We bring our best to the party. When we're in an environment of fear and trepidation, we don't. We've got that old part of our brain, the fight-flight fight or flight, that's right. kicking in and, and fighting or flighting, if yeah. you say it aren't generally the solutions to any no, of our problems. They're not. What do you see, Bill, when you see, like, if you're going to define character, how do you define it as a businessman who has to get results and as somebody who needs to do it with people, what does character look like in business? Well, you know, we've had that discussion many times over the years in our team meetings. And what I always came back to is very simply it's the right thing. It's yeah. doing the right thing. And it is not the right thing for the bottom line, although right. oftentimes it helps the bottom line. But oftentimes character does not. Character is, sometimes has a negative impact to the bottom line. Yeah. But for somebody who's driven and committed to a high-value um, life, it, it doesn't matter. Character right. is, is what is the right thing. And, and so many log jams have been broken when we've sat in a meeting and somebody said, wait a minute, just what is the right thing to do? That's such a great question. And most of us intuitively go right to the answer. Isn't that interesting? Um, because it's, it's, sometimes it's not what we're thinking. It's, right. and, and so many times, yeah, this is antithetical. It's kind of – it's the opposite of what you think you would need to do. If You, you, you need to get the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You need to make the money except without your people. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it just takes you a little more time to do it with character, but it allows you to go a lot longer term. Sure. Sure. I just had a wonderful experience. I just came back from a trip to New York, 
and just with a rental car company where there was a policy that's probably a very sensible policy yeah. but would, was causing a wrong thing to happen with regard to my rental. And I had this wonderful agent when I returned the car who first told me the way it was going to be and then he stopped and he said, you know what? That just isn't right. Just give me a second. And I waited for about 30 seconds and he came back and he said, we took care of it. And I – yeah. They own me. Yeah, you're I mean, going there I, mean every time. I trust this organization yeah. I, and probably more so than they maybe earned in that one moment. That's right. But again, it's an example of how willing we are to get behind somebody yeah. who, who tries to earn our trust. Well, and then how quickly we are willing to just get rid of someone that doesn't. Right. That's what, and those things stay, don't they? These bad moments, everyone out there is list, that's listening, they've had a bad moment. Mm-hmm. And they've had a bad moment with a company, and they will never go back to that company ever again. Right. Well, you think about the number of very public, and unfortunately we have so many of them, very public examples of, yeah. of problems, and how incensed we are when we see somebody on the stand who shows no remorse. That's right. And and when we, when we hear that remorse, we maybe still hate the situation, but we're willing to forgive. But when we sense no remorse, that's when we just say, never, that's never right. again do I, I trust that individual or that organization. And the customer service idea, I mean – it, it it just oozes down, doesn't it? You can just see what the culture is just by watching how people – how they're empowered or they're not, mm-hmm. who has the power to make decisions. I mean the idea that you – I mean we have this huge advantage technologically, but we have people that still can't make decisions. So right. I mean where you should be able to get a hold of anybody in a minute, mm-hmm. we still have people that can't they, – and they're not even empowered to make some of the decisions like – your car person did. Right. You know, it was interesting because with the car person, I said, um, wow, I didn't realize uh, you had a policy that would allow you to make a decision like that. And he's, his answer was, I don't know that we do. And uh, Honestly, that might be the best policy. Yeah. And so, um, yes, you're right. Um, that, that, that has a huge trickle-down effect. Yeah. And you can – calling a customer service line is one of the best – windows, transparent windows yeah. to get a view into the leadership of an organization. Yeah. What exactly are they saying? Right. What aren't they saying? Right. Well, I mean, you think of all of these companies, that, and Nordstrom's, for example, has gotten such great feedback, but that'll just take whatever you want back. We'll mm-hmm. take it back. My sister worked there, and they would bring stuff back that they know never came from this company. Mm-hmm. That was never sold at Nordstrom's, and they'll take it back. Right. And it's it seems absurd until you're shopping at Nordstrom's. Then all of a sudden, it's a safety. It's just, it's just, I, we trust each other. Well, you know, you see the same thing at an organization like a Costco. Yeah. You know, I often tell people I would have gotten our children at Costco if they sold them. Oh, totally. And, You'd have um, to get three. Yeah. <laughs> three for one. But, but it, and, and it's not only reflected in that customer experience, it's reflected in the fact that when I go to my local Costco, I see people who've worked there five, seven, ten yeah. years. Yeah. And, and because it, and you ask them if they like their job, and to a person they will say this is a great place Love to work. They, they trust me. They they have an environment that's uplifting. Yeah. See, I um, you just can't get around it. And character, it's it, is it is it something we teach, or is it just something we're born with? Well, or both. Yeah. I mean, I think. We, it's certainly something we can learn, yeah. but it's something that we don't live until we embrace. That's right. And and I think in terms of of, of taking it to others, we do teach it. But yeah. as you know, the harmony between actions and words is critical. Oh, it's huge. And I remember when we when I worked at Franklin Covey, one of our clients then was um, Ritz Carlton, mm-hmm. who had a mission statement that was just. It was the character mission. It's basically we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. 
And then they instill that in the heads and the minds of everybody. And there's so many stories of people getting off ladders to run across the the courtyard to help somebody in with their luggage. And that Mm -hmm. person was a janitor, wasn't even the bellman. And people just backing each other up and doing it. Character is there. I even think it's instilled in our heart. It's inherent, which is maybe why Jacob Marley was coming back. It's in there. And when, you know, once you move on to the other side, you realize that maybe that's the most important thing. Right. Well, we're going to come back. With Bill Bennett, and we're going to talk in depth about some tools, some ideas, lessons from Jacob Marley, as well as just what are some rules, what are some things that all of us need to do to have a little more character at our work, at our jobs, in our lives. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back after this break on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. If you're a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan, like me, coming home can be harder than expected. But it turns out I wasn't alone. At IAVA.org, there's a free online community of thousands of vets who've got your back. Whether it's managing the transition home or everyday stuff like finding a nice sweater for my dog. Sweater? Okay, maybe not that. Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America is there for you. Join our community at IAVA.org. We've got your back. Brought to you by IAVA and the Ad Council. Music from BYU to around the world on the Tantera Hour. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Russia is sending the Assad regime in Syria attack helicopters, according to the Secretary of State. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton is citing what she calls the latest information. That there are attack helicopters um, on the way from Russia to Syria, which will escalate uh, the conflict quite dramatically. Russia and Syria have a long-standing military relationship. The U.S. has demanded Russia stop delivering weapons for now, but Moscow has insisted any arms it sends the Syrian regime are not being used to put down the uprising. Sagar Megani, Washington. Witnesses are telling the jury in Jerry Sandusky's child sex abuse trial their graphic stories. Former prosecutor Kendall Coffey says the very first alleged victim to take the stand laid the groundwork for all the others by addressing a central question in this case. Why didn't these alleged victims come forward earlier? He said the police actually had to hunt him down because he was afraid, because he was ashamed. And that is going to help with all of the other alleged victims because one of the big issues in this case is why everybody took so long. Kendall Coffey appeared on the Today Show. I'm Rita Foley. Top Republicans are calling for an independent investigator to search for the source of recent leaks of sensitive information. Senate Republicans say a special prosecutor and not two political appointees is needed to thoroughly investigate how national security secrets were leaked. Arizona Senator John McCain introduced a non-binding resolution calling for a special counsel. It obviously is one of the highest breaches of security 
that this country has ever seen. Democrats disagree, and Attorney General Holder says the two appointees can be counted on to be thorough. To follow the evidence wherever it leads us. And Holder says he's already been questioned about the leaks. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. .com and .org may not be the only Internet suffixes you use regularly regularly by the end of the year. There are some 2,000 prospects as part of the biggest expansion of the Internet address system since it was created in the 80s. Google is asking for .google, .youtube, and .lol. New York City wants addresses ending in .nyc. Other possibilities are .music, .doctor, and .bank. It will take at least a year or two for the first of these new suffixes to win approval and appear in use. These new names come with a price. Each proposal cost $185,000 and at least $25,000 a year to maintain for at least 10 years. I'm Ed Donahue. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're joined by Bill Bennett, uh, who's an author, a speaker, a, an executive that has you know, dealt with the highest levels of business. And we're picking his brain. He wrote a book called Jacob Marley. Uh, it's a blast from the past. Ebenezer Scrooge's old partner who came back in the dreams. Remember, he brought the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. And... Jacob Marley wanted to teach Ebenezer, you know what? I had regrets. No need that you need. You don't need regrets. We can change it still. And um, Bill Bennett put together some really interesting ideas. But it's really based on character, isn't it, Bill? It is. And um, let's talk about that. Like when you think of the lessons, what lessons What lessons did Jacob bring? Well, I think that the uh, the, the first thing that he – that really turned him is to understand that it's not all about him. Yeah. You know, and that that when we lose ourselves in in the pursuit of supporting other people mm-hmm. and helping to better other people's lives, is when we find ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And, and that that kind of became the the flux point yeah, for right. him in the story. And of course, you know, this is a I, I did this obviously without Dickens' permission since he's been dead a little while. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you didn't call, uh, so I had to fill in the gaps as I saw them. Yeah, but I also tried to pay attention to Dickens' letters to get what was in his head, and I think that that's this is true to the original intent, which is, you know, the wake up call of oh my gosh, what have I done? Yeah, and how do I fix it? And how do you fix it? And you can fix it. That's another, mm-hmm. I guess, mess. So one message is simply it's a it's about the people. People matter. Right. And another message is it's never too late. Right. And so, I mean, is it? I mean, I mean, it's interesting just talking to you because it would be easy for you to just go get another business job. I mean, a business gig, running a business, running a division, running a company, and yet what I love about you is this passion you have now for just people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, I guess you had it then, you did, but it's just different. It seems like you're. It seems like you're a lighter guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some regards, maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I think, and I hope I learned during the course of my business years, mm-hmm. and that I hope people got the benefit of it that they just do matter, and yeah. that the the best things that ever happened to us in any of our organizations were when you know 
our, when we focused as a leadership team on our people and we let the people focus on yeah. the customer. And if we took care of them, they would take care of, it's uh, handed of the down, customer. Isn't we, it? we want them to feel they, we had their back. Yeah. And they mattered to us, and their success mattered. And that means you don't let – doesn't mean you let all problems exist. Mm-hmm. You deal with issues, but you still, in the end, you care about them as a human being. Well, and maybe that's really all that it is. I mean, it, maybe – isn't that really why businesses exist? It's about serving people. It's ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It's not about corporate enterprise and financiers serving – I mean, it's all about business, and business seems all about the relationship. It is, and I mean, and of course, you know, capitalism is the driver that makes these make things money. exist. And it's, and there is, you aren't, you don't have to make an either or decision. No, you don't. And we've got these wonderful examples in the business world that uh, that embraced high ethics, high value yeah. character while building tremendous businesses. That's right. Well, and in fact, it's it seems like like you were saying earlier, it would ensure it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you ensure your future is ensure the character is in the business, right? And the people, and I think one of the things I observed over the years, I found, and I in the role that I was in, I met with many customers, perhaps thousands over the years, and that most organizations could could drive themselves to a peak for a short period of time right. through fear and intimidation yeah. and, and shortcutting, but the organizations that were resilient and that were able to uh, to make it through all kinds of challenges were the ones in which the value base began with the leader, where people knew that they cared yeah. and they they worked through things together. And, and it's kind of and it, and the water got all the way to the end of the row. Right. You know what I mean? It seems like so many. That's maybe why a lot of these family businesses seem to struggle. I mean, it maybe goes a generation or two, but sometimes it doesn't get all the way down. Or some of these bigger organizations, which is probably what a lot of our listeners are in big companies. They're in huge. Organization. So, what would you tell to the average Joe? It's not the president of a company, but is just an employee about where they where their character comes from. They're not going to go, you know, institutionalized character. Mm-hmm. Where do they begin? Well, I think that the the first place is, and it's surprising a number of people don't do this. What are my values? You know, what do I stand for? What 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 are the things that when people come to know me, they associate me with that value concept? Right. And and I've been surprised over the years that the number of people that don't think about that, no, and and that perhaps wholesale adopt their organizational value system mm-hmm. and say, wait a minute, far more important than that is who are you? Who are you? And what do you stand for? Yeah. And I think that that's where you have to begin. Yeah. And what do you bring to the table? I mean, you bring your values. What are your gifts? What are your Right. What do you bring? Right. And I think when you have that, um, I have found over the years that organizations that I've worked for are surprisingly um, flexible yeah. to, to work with me around my value system if I see a problem because they have such a high respect right. for somebody that knows who they are and where they're going. Not that I've always done a good job of that, but I've had a lot of failures that have helped me learn. Oh, and, sure. And, uh, and I think that, you know, when I – did a lot of hiring, and when I hire somebody, interview somebody on a college campus that maybe doesn't know what they want to do with their business life, but they know exactly who they are, my first impression is, you know what, this person's a good bet. That's right. Well, and they, yeah, because you can, you can then take that knowledge, that self awareness, and turn mm-hmm. and turn it. I mean, I can train you on the skills, yeah, but you knowing who you are, wow, yeah. And I think you know another thing that I learned is that nothing. Absolutely nothing makes up for a failure in ethics. That's right. I mean, it is, it's so foundational 
that you you cannot you know maybe you were talking in the intro about Enron and some of these yeah. other organizations, you know, in, success tends to hide a lot of sins. Oh yeah, and so when in, in great periods of success we might overlook yeah. that, but in the long run, when there's an ethical failure, th- there is nothing you can do that will overcome that. So you might as well deal yeah. with it and get it right. In fact, it's interesting. Um, it, it seems like we hire. Not necessarily looking at the ethics, mm-hmm. and maybe that's harder to just go find out for real. But we tend to fire for a lack of ethics, right? So we exactly. tend to hire for just, I guess, skills, capability. Do you possess the right resume? Did you go to the right schools? But boy, it seems like it's the ethics that and the character that seem to create the the durability of yeah. the employee. Exactly, it's huge. Um, what else? What other advice do you give to just the average Joe that's sitting there, like? They're dealing with a boss that lacks character. Maybe they're in an organization that they're not really aligned to, mm-hmm. but they can't leave. You know, I got to pay my bills. What right. would you say? What would you suggest to them to bring character out? Well, I would say first of all that that kind of point one A is you do not compromise your ethics yeah. and your values. But point one B is um, be careful that what you might call an ethical position you hold is maybe just an opinion about yeah. something. And, and sometimes people will get very attached to something that really isn't right. about right and wrong. It's really about their opinion. Yeah, it's position. And, and be open-minded enough to say, well, maybe there's another way to go about it. But at the same time, understand there are things, lines that I don't cross. Right. And, and, uh, and don't go there. And I would say a second thing to that person, as much as people will say, I cannot afford to lose this job, is... Um, don't be afraid to speak up. Yeah. You know, I think more often than not that the stories I've heard are that uh, that that person will be receptive if dealt re- with respectively, you know, in a private setting, not in the middle of a meeting, standing yeah, right. up and saying, you hey! liar, <laughs> you know, but but pulling him aside and saying, look, I have a concern. Can you just help me with this? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, if somebody says, well, that's not my work environment, I'd say, look, you know, life is short. Then right. look for a place where. You're going to feel like you're reinforcing the kind of person you That's want right. to be instead of battling. Just with. ask Jacob Marley. Right. <laughs> life is not short. Yeah, right. <laughs> and life is too short. He, right. he about lost it. Um, I think that's great advice because, and know that you can move on. I mean, yeah. the minute you think you can't, you're stuck there. Well, and I, I think another piece too, Matt, is never, never underestimate the incredible impact of a single act of character. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, you, you, for every Enron, there are 10,000 or 100,000 small acts of lack of character exactly. and, and just as many, if not more, of positive that, character. That sustain it, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I got to see countless times uh, people with, with, with what might be considered the lowest level job in an organization make an incredibly character-driven decision yeah. and watch that have a resounding effect on the people around them. And when you're the executive and so some just – Worker brings you or or acts with character in a way, and it influences you. Yeah, and sometimes it was directly with me, so I got to see it. But sometimes it's just watching them with somebody else, yeah. and and it's not done in order to showcase. It's not. It's done because it's the right thing to do, right. and and it it um you know there was a study done that said that uh, when students it was actually done at a Utah university I don't know where it was but when students were exposed to stories of high character decisions. Mm-hmm. They tended to make more high yeah. character decisions, yeah. and um, in fact, it was about one. I've heard a study like that when they when the people had just read uh, the Bible, right? They were more inclined 
to do good things than when they hadn't just read the Bible, which right. is interesting. Right. And so I think it's important to, uh, to, to never underestimate the impact you have by doing the right thing, even though that's not the reason you do it. You do it because it's the right thing. Uh, and for somebody in a leadership role to observe and grasp on those. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one, I mean, the fact that believe in that one, believe that you, you just do it for you because it's right. Right. If everyone else jumps on, I guess that's great. Mm-hmm. If not, at least you're in character. Yeah. And then having that can promote other people yeah. being in character. I had a great piece of advice from a, a business person when I was only about my first year of working, which I have embraced all these years. And he said, if you were to run into one of your work associates or a customer in the mall on Saturday with your family, mm-hmm. would you run and hide behind the column? Or would you run up and say, hey, this hey. is my wife and children. Yeah. I'd like to introduce you. Isn't that interesting? And, uh, you know, I've, I've thought about that, and I've made mistakes in my career that, you know, I don't think blatant no. uh, lack of integrity type things, but the mistakes I made, poor yeah. judgment. And and it's always a correcting influence to think about that. That is – that's I actually think about that with my couples or the clients I work with because if I see them at the mall – I'm like, oh, do I want them <laughs> talking to my wife? Yeah. I don't want them. I don't want them knowing we right. have problems. That's great. That's great advice. What else? What else do you think Jacob Marley would say to the world today? Well, I think one, like I said, that that to lose yourself in the pursuit of others, uh, as we've already said, and, and it comes out in the book as well, that uh, nothing nothing makes up for a, a void in ethics, um, and and I think that uh, to I mean as as you know, common and as trite as some people might find it, literally love your fellow man. Yeah. I mean, we are all in this journey. We're all trying to do something good in the long run. We're failing in some cases. And, uh, you know, am, am I here to point it out to say, oh, Matt, you know, I yeah. saw you arguing with your yeah, wife on the mall on Saturday. Right. So, you know, definitely I wouldn't go to your marriage course. Right. Um, or are we here to say, hey, what, what can I do? What can I do right. to give you a hand up? Well, wouldn't it be great if we were all reaching the handout. Yes. Yeah. Right now there's a lot of people that need it, don't they? They yeah. need the lift. It's huge. Jacob Marley, uh, you know, I guess luckily he's gone just for his <laughs> sake, but uh, it's it's interesting. And then just think of, um, it's. I think it's a neat, of all the people you could have chosen, you chose, you didn't choose the one we've all heard about forever. Yeah. You chose the one that Well, was... the, re- the reason I chose him is because even as a little child watching the old black and white 1951 Alistair Sims version of Christmas Carol. I can remember sitting there with my father and saying, but what happened to him? I mean, he helped Scrooge and then he's gone. Doesn't he get any points for that? Yeah. Or doesn't, you know, and, and the idea of the story is what's the story behind the story? Yeah. How did he get there? Yeah. And what happened as a result? And, um, you know, that remorse can be a driver totally. as opposed to just, uh, you know, if we don't act on it, it can just be there forever. But can be a driver to positive behavior. That's huge. And and as the listeners are out there, it's probably what would your challenge be to them? So as they're sitting here listening to this, they now get this opportunity on their way home to kind of get a taste of it, get a taste of character. What would you challenge them to go do? Well, I think you asked a great question, actually, a few minutes ago. What's it like to work for me? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a one set of surveys I read that said, that 83, 84% of managers believe they're great to work for. Yeah. And of that same group of people, about 30% of the people who work for them believe they're Think great they're to work great. for. So, are, you know, are you, are you a big enough person and a confident enough person to understand 
what you know from yeah. them. What's it like to work for me? In fact, even ask that question. That's right. What is it like to work for me? And, and to to listen to some suggestions and and because uh, a lot of things you may not think are unethical because we always want to judge right. ourselves by intent, right. others by their actions. Right. Um, but that you may cross boundaries without realizing it. Boy, but and the, the other interesting thing, I guess, of character is have enough character to say what needs to be said. Right. I mean, because I could see people asking that and everyone else like, oh, no, you're fine. You're yeah. great. You're great. But there's a, there is character in giving feedback, too, in the but, right way. There is. And in somebody in a leadership position, one of the great moments to reinforce character is when you have bad news. Yeah. You know, stand up and stand in front of a group without your – your notes and just say, hey, this hasn't gone so well. Let me yeah. explain why. And instead of always following up with, but it's not a problem because. Yeah. Say, you know, it's, yeah, it's an issue. Anybody yeah. got any ideas or, yeah. or whatever your approach is? But people believe you if you deliver bad news right. when you deliver good news. Well, especially because you right there, just you just did that. I mean, yeah. how many times did you just say, I'm, I'm not perfect. I've blown yeah. this a million times. There's just some executives that they don't know they've blown yeah. it. Right. So if you're sitting out there driving your car and you don't think you've ever blown it, yeah. oh, brother. Right. You are the problem. Right. You're the problem. Good stuff, Bill. Where can they find you? Where can they find the book, Jacob Marley? Where Where can they find more about you? Well, in the old traditional where, where all good books are sold, yeah. um, you know, you'd find it online and Amazon and those sorts of places. And it's a seasonal book, so you'll see it back in the stores. rwilliambennett.com is my website, you know, I've got the Facebook sites, and you can find it there. And you got it. Uh, that and the other books. Good stuff. Bill Bennett, the book, Jacob T. Marley. Check it out. It's not just a Christmas book. It's That's just where you'll probably have it marketed to you. But mm-hmm. it's just as good Thank all you. around. Appreciate you being here, Bill. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, my friend. And uh, character, get out there. What's it like to be you? We'll be back with one more segment on character, giving you the tools here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Connect with Matt on BYU Radio's Facebook page and Twitter at BYU Radio. Patches designed for repairs in space are now being used to get race cars back on the track. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Astronauts in orbit occasionally need to make quick repairs to equipment. Since they can't bring entire hardware stores with them, they were looking for a versatile way to fix things during missions. Cornerstone Research Group of Dayton, Ohio, developed a simple patch repair system that works in space and on Earth. The patch is a structural composite material that's heated to become flexible. It can be molded to any repair surface, including curves and corners. The material cools within seconds, becoming strong and rigid while keeping its new shape. The patches were developed commercially for the automotive repair industry under the name Rub-In Repair. The rigid structural material makes it a perfect patch for race cars. During a pit stop, damage can be repaired within seconds to bring back a car's structural integrity and aerodynamic shape. Another version of the patch is made for the outdoor and adventure market with the name Rec Repair. Whether making quick repairs in space or on pit row, this patch keeps you moving. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. This'll take a while.
Sometimes it's better to take things slow. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Join Dean Duncan weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, wrapping it up. Great interview with Bill Bennett about character in our businesses, our lives. And uh, we just want to see if we can't elevate the game a little bit for all of us. Again, it's not to guilt you, but I really want you to think about your life, your business. If you're an executive, you know what? What's it like to work for you? If you're an employee, what's it like to work alongside you? Is it? Uh, are you one that lifts and elevates, or are you one that just seriously takes a toll <laughs> on everybody around you? There are ways to be honest and healthier. There are ways to have character in whatever job you do, even a car salesman, right? Now, they seem to get the bad, uh, the bad rep and um, reputation for what they do, but car salesmen, you know, they, they too can be ethical. And we have a, a little bit of a piece here, a bit done by Tom Brinton, to, to update us on the potential integrity in a car salesman. We've all been there. You just finished the test drive, and the car dealer turns to you and says, So, what's it going to take to get you into this car today? There it is, the hard sell. You've already been conditioned not to trust this guy, and you've heard horror stories about lemons that dropped their drive shaft a block after driving off the lot. But there have to be some honest guys in the business. So I talked with Aaron Porter, I'm a, salesman. a relatively new salesman, just over a year, year and two months, about how he balances the desire to move cars with his own personal integrity. You need to understand that every customer isn't going to purchase right when they walk in. Everybody has a buying cycle. I'm an impulse buyer, a huge impulse buyer, but not everybody's like that. You know, if you understand that, then it makes it a lot easier. He admits it's often difficult to reach the perfect deal for both parties, but he tries to put the customer's needs first. Yeah, I think it's what you make it, but um, you know, I'm 100% commission-based, and so you know, while maybe this isn't the exact color or the exact style you're looking for, if I can get you into a car, then I get paid. And so unfortunately there is that stigma, but if you can separate your agenda and what the customer wants, if you can separate those and just help the customer, then you're okay. Sometimes we just need reminding that not everyone in the automotive industry is trying to give us a raw deal. That, that's kind of where the salesmanship comes into it. You can be a good salesman and not be pushy. You can be a good salesman and not be, you know, and not be left-handed. You can be a good salesman and, and be an honest guy. You can be in any business and be honest and be a good guy. That, um, that I think, is the point and uh, good stuff by Tom there. Um, as, as we think about it and we wrap it up, Bill was telling a story um, on the way out after uh, his interview. He, he uh, had forgotten about this, this interesting study that was done 
many years ago. It's uh, the ash. It was done with the ash conformity experiments, and it's basically where they they uh, would bring I think about five to seven people in the room, and they would lay down three or four different lines. I think it was four different lines. Uh, one w- was one set line, and then they'd put three other lines on the other side of a piece of paper, and they would ask people to um, decide if if one line was longer than the other. And when they did it, they would have about seven people in the room, but five of the seven were in on the deal. They knew what the game was. And what they would do is they would always play the opposite position. So uh, what basically the rule of it was, the one, the, the one line on the left side, for example, compared to the three lines on the right side, was equal to the middle line, line B. So uh, the line on the left and the line B of the three lines were equal. Well, anytime somebody would say that, everyone, uh, the other five people that were in on the deal would basically say, no, 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 and they would end up arguing the point. And eventually, about 75% of the time, they would convince the lone, one of the, one of the two finalists in this, of the seven, they'd convince them, um, in fact, end up convincing both of them that they were wrong. Now, where this got interesting, though, is when one of the other two, just one of them, got the idea and strongly held the belief that line B and the line on the left were the exact same, which they are, when they saw the truth and held to it, it made it so much easier for the other person to hold to it. So only about 95% of the time when just one person would get the lines right, they would advocate better and it made it so that the other person wouldn't turn. There is so much power in being the one that gets it. There's so much power in being the person with character. So this isn't about having to be perfect. This is just about having to be right a little bit of the time and then sticking to it. This is about you living your values, which is why it was so important about what um, – was brought up by uh, by our guest earlier because it's when you think about it, we all are a little weak at any given time. So if we can exercise more and more character here, a little more character there, then all of a sudden, together, collectively, we might all be on eventually as a whole, where individually it's so hard to stay on our game, to stay in character all of the time. If I have a bunch of friends and they can all stay in character most of the time, guess what? It makes my job a lot easier. And so that is our challenge to all of you. Get out there and be the one. Be the one person in your office that is exercising character. Make sure you know what you want most out of life and fight for it. Know what your values are. Know what your principles are. Know what your beliefs are and live them. Please live them because when you go out and you live your values, you know what? It makes my life so much easier to do so. You become the change, as Gandhi says. You become the change that uh, the world needs. You become the person that makes life easier. Take the stand. Stand up for what's true. That is the challenge we're going to leave you with today from the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we'd love to talk to you. If you want to get information or give us ideas on what you would like to hear about on the show, just go to Chat at byu.edu, mattchat at byu.edu, and uh, we would love to talk to you about that. Again, join us every day, Monday through Friday, for the show, and hey, make it a great day, everybody. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo.
The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education. The American writer E.B. White once defined the term Yankee this way.